0: Welcome to Each and All to Todd Talks, a bi-monthly webinar and podcast sponsored by and made possible through the Church Network of Baylor University's George W. Truett Theological Seminary. Today, our guest for the first Todd Talks of 2021 is another Todd, Todd Bolsinger, although he only uses one D to spell his first name. I I don't know what's up there. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Todd, as if though uh, you don't know him already. Todd Bolsinger, who holds the PhD from Fuller Theological Seminary, serves as Associate Professor of Leadership Formation, as well as a Senior Fellow for the Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary. His books include, It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian, Canoeing the Mountains, And now most recently as we will visit about some near the end of our conversation today, tempered resilience, how leaders are formed in the crucible of change. Todd is a frequent speaker, consultant and blogger. He serves as an executive coach for corporate nonprofit educational church organizations uh, in transformational leadership. For 17 years before beginning at Fuller, he was the senior pastor of San Clemente Presbyterian Church in San Clemente, California, after having served for 10 years at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. Todd and his wife, Beth, have two children. Todd, it's a delight uh, to welcome you. Thank you for your time uh, this morning.
1: It is great to be with you, Todd. Very, very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, Todd, i um, Welcome and allow me to begin our conversation with a rather general question that I think will be of great interest to those who listen Uh, and it's this. Uh, When and how and why did you become interested in reading and studying about leadership and eventually writing and speaking and consulting and instructing uh, regarding leadership?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, so uh, when I was a really young leader, I was asked to come on the staff at Hollywood Presbyterian at 23 years old. I was their college director, Uh, Lloyd Ogilvy, who went on to be the chaplain of the Senate was our senior pastor. And he would talk a lot about leadership. He talked a lot about, and the way he talked about it was, he really was committed to be a preacher, but some men in his life, and they were all men at the time, who were in corporate America, Um, really mentored him in how to uh, run a good, healthy church. And so he really impressed that upon us as a young age. But I got to tell you, my emphasis of my life was really on spiritual formation. That's what Mm -hmm. I went and did a PhD Mm -hmm. in. That's what I cared about. Um, But then um, when I was asked by another seminary to do a doctorate ministry on my first book, which was all about communal practices of spiritual formation, it was a book on leading communities of spiritual formation, and I came in thinking the class was me gonna be about spiritual formation and community. And everybody wanted to talk about the leading. This mm. is the part that got me was the students themselves kept saying, look, everybody's committed to wanting to be a disciple, at least they say they are, and they all wanted to live in community. The problem is is that when we start trying to actually make the changes, they don't want to make them. And so all all of a sudden, that got me interested in leadership. And then in my own challenges as a pastor, I write about it canoeing the mountains. um, I just found over and over and over again, the thing, the place of challenge was really in the leadership side. And that got me interested. And that's really become my calling and the place where I spend my time. I, I now lead the church leadership initiative at Fuller, which is all about Forming church leaders for faithful change. And Mm. so really, that's my life. It's about leadership and change leadership and and the formation of leaders in that way.
0: Well, we're uh, grateful for that calling and your uh, faithfulness in it, Todd. We've all uh, benefited appreciably and measurably from it. So as you've done your reading and your uh, research and your writing on leadership, I'm wondering, Todd, if you would share with us some of the folks that you have read and from whom you've benefited. Uh, many people are reading you, but uh, who are you uh, reading? Yeah. And, and why might we also uh, want to read some of these folks?
1: Yeah. So, so those who have read my books know that the most uh, seminal resources in my life are the work of Ronald Heifetz at Harvard University, who talks about adaptive leadership. Um, Ed Friedman, who is deceased, but was a Jewish rabbi who wrote a lot about family systems and organizational systems. And then, um, and really the missional theologians and really Daryl Guter himself was one of the most influential people Um, in my own doctoral work. And so I was reading Daryl and the gospel in our culture network in the um, mid, like late (laughs) eighties and early nineties. And so um, those folks have been really influential. Um, I have to say that as a pastor, it was when I read Jim Collins Hmm. that it re re sparked for me the notion of leadership in a really important way. I, I, I read his good to great many times and that became very um, significant to me. And then there's, um, uh, Warren Bennis was one of the original um, people who worked on uh, development of leaders, the leadership formation, leadership development. And so those are some of the pantheon of voices that have been made the biggest influence on me over the years.
0: So you all, as you begin uh, to uh, form your 2021 reading list, there's, there are some titles to add to it if you've not already read those. Well, Todd, let's turn to your own work on leadership. Uh, when you wrote uh, this very important volume from which I've greatly benefited, Canoeing the Mountains, mm-hmm. uh, you did so in 2015 or it was published in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, one could have hardly have imagined. Uh, I mean, in one's uh, wildest imagination in, in notions a, a year like 2020. Yeah. So adaptive leadership, as you note, is needed to navigate the rapidly evolving, complex, and unique challenges that continue to present themselves to leaders, uh, including church leaders. Yeah. What, what possible leadership lessons garnered from 2020 might you note that we would do well to carry into 2021, uh, which is starting, as we were noting before we came on, uh, pretty much feeling a good bit like 2020. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think the most significant thing, Todd, was
1: um, actually so when I wrote Canoe in the Mountains, I wrote it in the summer of 2013, and this 2014. You know how the publishing works; it comes yeah, out sure. 15. So if you just look even at the titles, you realize there's no way I would have made a chapter title called "The Mission Trumps" back then. Like, because in 2013, <laughs> I never have the idea that the word "Trump" would be as politically divisive or would be as symbolic to some people as it is, right? So by the time the book was out in 2015, within a year, I was already aware that the things I'd written about needed to continually be updated. And that's what adaptive leadership is about. It's about when you are trying to lead in a rapidly changing world. And I think the only thing we know is that um, the only thing constant about change is that it's speeding up. We're having more and more and more of it. So what this has taught me more than ever is that trying to predict the future is ridiculous. It is a yeah. worthless endeavor. And, and that's important to say because much leadership literature of the 90s and the early 21st century was about trying to predict and get out in front of trends, right? There was a famous Wayne Gretzky, you know, skate to where the puck is going. Yeah. Well, you know, that's almost impossible. Yeah. So what you actually have to do is learn a way of leading that learns in real time. And so I often say to people that what I learned in 2020 is you don't predict your prototype. Hmm. You you don't think in terms of trying to get out in front of trends. You think in terms of how quickly we can learn and then adapt based on the learning. And that is a radically different way of thinking. That's much more common now like in entrepreneurial circles. But, um, but that's diff- much different than the old corporate model that most of you and I, uh, most of reading you and I would have done you know, in our days about what, in, in our student days, about yes. what leadership was about. So that's been a massive change yeah. in the last year.
0: Yeah, so learn as you lead.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like, I always say you can't, you know, you, know, you don't start developing as a leader until you're leading, and that's yeah. hard. And you have to learn as you go, and that's hard. <laughs> and yeah. so, and the, those are two things that most of us who, you know, especially with a lot of initials after our names, we thought we'd do all of our learning and then we would go do our leading and we would lead as experts based on our learning. Well, now what's really important is you're actually learning real time all the time and not often as an expert.
0: Yeah, I mean, medical professionals would uh, tell us as much, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. This is where we really are having to learn the complexity of the world requires us a humility yeah. Uh, that many of us, um, I, th- I mean, as Christians, it should be something that we're committed to, but we, most of us haven't been shaped in that way. We haven't been shaped for that kind of learning and humility that we need.
0: Yeah. And the ability to admit mistakes, right. And the transparency required.
1: Yeah, yeah indeed. Indeed. Yeah. In the, in the new book, I talk a lot about the vulnerability of leadership yeah. Yeah. and yeah. about how vulnerable it feels like leadership today requires you to stand before people and tell the truth about that we don't know what's next. We're gonna do our best, we're gonna to gather together, we're gonna to build trust, we're gonna learn as we go, and we're gonna to try to solve hard problems and be faithful to the mission that God has given us. Mm. But we don't know what's next and we can't tr- even begin to try to predict what's next. Um, that's the, one of the, the biggest lessons of the year.
0: Yes. Well, Todd, um, let, let's let pivot just a little, uh, not a lot, because uh, this seems to be an ongoing challenge, uh, namely a climate of distrust. Oh. So uh, where we encounter distrust and increase polarization, how can we forge relationships of trust with others, including those both within and beyond our own organizations, especially those who do not necessarily look or think or talk like us.
1: Oh, man. I, I see. I think this is going to be probably the, the biggest challenge of the next season. It's the mm-hmm. rebuilding of trust. Um, and so if you think about this, that trust is built in by two things. One, it's built by your competence. You show up and demonstrate that you are trustworthy. Yep. so i always say for a, for a pastor you know if you don't prove that you are trustworthy at handling the scriptures of being faithful to our traditions of caring for your people all the things that they ask you to do well then no one's going to trust you when you tell them hey we have to learn as we go we're going to have to go off the map you know they i always say that people have to trust you on the map before they will follow you off the map <laughs> right? but the second part of that is that you have to really be relationally congruent And so it's technical competence. It's competence, but it's also congruent. And that means that you need to show up as the same person. Yeah. Which means if you show up one day being the person wagging your finger saying, I have got the plan. Just follow me. I know exactly what to do. I've got, then the next day you show up and say, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do. They're not going to trust you.
0: Hmm. Uh, you you froze up a little bit, Uh, so so they're not going to trust you. You were talking about competence, congruence, and then um, showing up, being the same person uh, day in and day out, integrity. Uh, So so continue on uh, uh, along those lines. There you go. You're back. Okay, so technology has been our
1: been our bane today. Um, yeah, so it's so. But those are the main so the main two things. Being a person who shows up day after day. Do...
0: Okay, you're back again, Todd. Mm.
1: Well, why don't we pick up? I think I might have said that several times. That
0: <laughs> okay, let's let's go to a, let's go to a new question. And in the event that you freeze again and you need to, uh, Todd, log out and log back in, that's super too. Uh, so um, here here's another thing for us to consider together. Uh, every corporation, institution, organization, uh, regardless, requires adaptive change and learning. Is there anything necessarily distinct about adaptive change in a congregation, a church, or maybe even an educational institution and environment? Uh, Anything kind of stand out in those spaces to you, Todd? Um, the,
1: The most distinctive parts about adaptive change in a church is to think about the fact that adaptive change is always the adaptation of your core values.
0: Okay, you're back. Adaptation of your core values.
1: Yes, yeah, so getting really clear on what we're not gonna change. What's essential? What's really important?
0: got you again
1: so so this is so frustrating I understand (laughs) oh my gosh Um, I keep checking all my links okay you're you're you're
0: you're back Todd Ah,
1: okay. okay so um where would you like me to pick up Todd
0: that's okay. Yeah, so adaptation of your core values, uh, returning to mission.
1: And in most churches, that's pretty hard. Most of us have a hard time agreeing on that.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, Todd, I wonder if it might be possible to log out and log back in and maybe, maybe our connection will be a bit stronger. Oh. Hey, uh, please do that. Hey friends, thanks for your patience here. This is one of the, uh, one of the beauties and one of the difficulties of doing this in real time. Um, and so I see in the, the, the chat uh, uh, some friends, um, Harry Lucenae, When Todd listed those, he read the first person was from Harvard. I didn't pick up his name in his book. Okay, we'll go back there, Harry. Um, thanks, Drew, for uh, for your affirmation. And uh, all right, Todd, are are you back with us yet? No. He's, uh, he's just logging out for just a minute. Thank you all for your patience. Um, more conversation to come and uh, g- grateful for your sticking with us here. Thank you, Tom, for your kindness. While we wait on Todd to uh, rejoin the conversation, uh, allow me to encourage you to um, uh, take up and read. Uh, Many of you have read uh, Canoeing the Mountains. We're about to pivot to talk about uh, Todd's most recently published book, uh, Tempered Resilience. And so uh, that's, that's where we're going. Okay, Todd, you're back. I see you, but I can't hear you. There you are. You're, 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 you're. I can't, I can't hear you now. Todd, are you on mute? I
1: turned my mute off. I should be okay.
0: I got you now. Good. I got you now. Okay. okay. So, sorry about the buffering. I, I apologize. Um, and folks are, folks are hanging with us. In fact, we have, we have more now than we did before uh, there was a break. So, hey Todd, could we um, could we kind of, of rewind and reflect again on the question uh, that, um, regardless of one's institution or organization, uh, adaptive change and learning is required. Uh, how might this be especially uh, true of of churches?
1: Yeah. So. Um... One of the most difficult things of working with people in church is that everybody assumes that we all share the same deepest values. Uh, Many of us come from different settings um, where those now take on trappings of additional values. So one of the most important conversations in adaptive change, when things are really changing dramatically, is to get real. And that is a hard enough conversation for most churches. Did I freeze in the middle of that again?
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're coming in and out. And it, it may well be, Todd, that we have to retool. But let's go ahead and, and, and press on just a bit because um, I want to turn our attention to your new book on, on resilience. This is, uh, this is something that I know folks are, are really excited about uh, learning uh, more regarding. So your new book, it, it focuses on how leaders are forged in a crucible of change, and I'm grateful for your ability to uh, take a metaphor uh, and, and work with it, Todd. Uh, would you overview the book, uh, Tempered Resilience, uh, and what inspired you to write the volume in the first place? And, and what do you hope uh, the book achieves, Todd? If, if, if you could say, uh, this would be my desired end for tempered resilience, what would it look like?
1: Well, so the book came because as I started talking about adaptive leadership around the country, what I found was I often had leaders say to me, I think I can learn to lead change. I'm not sure I can survive it. Mm -hmm. Um, What's really painful, what's really hard for most leaders is not how rapidly the world is changing out there. It's how resistant our own people are to changing inside our churches and that is soul sucking for pastors i mean that is really demoralizing and and we see that actually even when the life of moses in, in the book of exodus right there's a moment when moses says to god if you're going to leave me with these people kill me now <laughs> like just take, take me out <laughs> and i know i think that's when most pastors i know start thinking maybe i could sell real estate <laughs> you know maybe maybe I could. or i always think maybe i could go like do trail maintenance in the national park or something like that right I, Um, Because the hardest part of leadership is dealing with your, the internal resistance, the resistance of your own people to the very thing we say we're committed to doing. And that takes a kind of what I call tempered resilience. It is resilience that is also tempered, is strong and flexible. It's not a sledgehammer, but a chisel that can participate in transforming a people. And so tempered resilience is really about that. What is the formation of a leader to develop the strength and wisdom and flexibility to be able to lead a people through their own resistance.
0: And so as you think about the book's end, aim, us um, what's your hope for it?
1: Well, my hope for it is that it'll actually start a formation conversation for church leaders. It's really what it's about. Like, we, like I always say that the way that I think that in many of our seminaries, we worked really hard at forming uh, people who are faithful to handle the scriptures. And we're also really psychologically aware about this, the, this, the psychological needs of our people. We also need to develop the formational resilience to lead well. Yes. I mean, I, I was in Scotland and I had an older minister walk up to me and say, You keep calling me a leader. You keep calling me a leader. I'm not a leader. I'm a minister. Like, and I read that and I could hear in his voice that he thought, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't. I signed up to care for people. I love God. I love people. I want to introduce the people I love to the God I love. You're talking about needing to change people and change structures and communities. And congregations so they can be faithful. I didn't sign up for that. And what I really want to do is say this is going to be our task. This is our missional task. Yeah. And here's the formation process to go th- to develop the resilience to do that well.
0: Yeah. So, like it or not, whether you wittingly signed up for it or not, <laughs> this is this is what you're going to have to do. Yeah, and, and that's interesting, Todd, because you're you're right to kind of do seminary speak for a minute. Uh, it's true, we have focused uh, long and hard on disciplines, particularly classical disciplines, matters of rigorous academic instruction. But uh, on the other side of that coin must be uh, intentional spiritual formation. Uh, and in uh, and, and all that that entails uh, in in uh, leading people and in uh, leaning into one's own, uh, relationship with the Lord. Was it Richard Foster who suggested in the introduction to that now classic, um, the, uh, his volume on spiritual disciplines, the celebration of discipline, uh, that uh, ultimately what we need are, are, are deeper people. Yes. And I gather probably more well-formed uh, leaders. Yes.
1: Yes. So, so one of the ways to think about this, Todd, is when I first um, gave my life to Christ, they gave me some spiritual disciplines. I didn't know what they were, but they said, you know, the people discipling me said, read your Bible every day, go to church every week, pray, and I did. But when I became a pastor, I realized reading my Bible every day was not enough. I needed to do the deep study of Scripture to be yeah. a faithful preacher. And I think part of what I'm saying to leaders today is in a rapidly changing world you're gonna need some spiritual practices and you're gonna need some larger practices to enable you to develop the resilience to lead people through their own resistance. And you're gonna to need to be able to cultivate the ability to tolerate feeling vulnerable and getting supported by strong relationships and then having practices that enable you to lead well. And these are not the kind of things that we think about as traditional spiritual practices until we're in the middle of them. like listening, um, looking, lamenting, learning. And these practices need to be part of our repertoire and our formation if we're going to lead the kinds of faithful change that we need to lead in a changing world.
0: Uh, Todd, that's profound. So to see uh, learning and leadership as part and parcel of spiritual disciplines, uh, this could help frame it in a way that might even be more uh, acceptable, palatable to your friend in Scotland.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'll, I'll just give you one example. Um, we know the power of listening. All of us who go through like CPE or all of us who go through pastoral care know that people need to be listened to deeply to be for empathy. So for a whole lot of preachers, the next progr- like step in your formation was to become a better listener. What we don't know is that listening is actually profoundly powerful in helping people overcome their resistance to change.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. If you lead through listening, people are more open to being, to going where they are resistant to going. When empathy actually develops trust and attunement, which comes through listening well to people, when our brains literally start to fire together, accelerates change.
0: Yeah.
1: So as soon as we start recognizing that our empathy and our listening and our ability to walk alongside people is part of the process for their transformation toward their faithfulness in the gospel, then we will need to, will understand how much we need to cultivate that. That change leaders are not just, you know, um, putting a big vision and, you know, inspiring people to go into the breach, but actually walking with people through their own fear and anxiety and resistance so that they can develop and change as well.
0: Yeah. Todd, this is a bit of a riff, but if you have a moment, I would love to explore something that I think um, that your your thoughts and your comments until now uh, really point towards. So leadership, it's often said, is lonely mm-hmm. and teamwork is absolutely an, uh, essential. Um, talk, talk to us a bit, Todd, about about forming a team. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- wh- what does this look like? And 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 how how will you know when you're actually beginning to get there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I I put team in a larger context. I always say, especially if you're leading change, especially if you know you're having resistance, needs three types of relationships. You need partners, you need mentors, and you need friends partners are people who share the mission. And so partners really are the people who are your team. And the most important thing I need on a team is that we are so committed to the same mission that we trust each other, that we care more about the mission sometimes than we care about each other, you know, because we might need to confront each other on the fact that we're about that, right? I have to say, as a young leader, I often wanted to work with my friends and I still love working. I love, I become friends often with the people on my team but there's a big difference between having someone who cares about me and someone who cares about the mission. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So your partners are people who care deeply and with you about the mission. Your friends are the people who care more about you than they care about the mission. Yeah. My friends are the people who go, I heard you got another book out. Congratulations. And I go, yeah, you want a copy? And they go, nah, nah, congratulations. (laughs) So glad you have another book out, but nah, (laughs) that's not, (laughs) nah. <laughs> okay <don't care>, right <laughs> I don't yeah. and then in the middle is this what i call the mentors these are coaches yeah these are people who care deeply about me so that i can be faithful in what god's given me this is this is coaches and and uh, therapists and spiritual directors and mentors yeah. they're in the middle of that category and i do think that for most leaders I, I always say this, I think it is leadership malpractice to try to lead without a coach, a therapist or a spiritual director. If LeBron James needs a coach, then you need a coach. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. If Tom <laughs> Brady needs a coach, you need yeah. a coach. And so, so I just think that it's really important to recognize that we, the kinds of leadership. So my team has to be my partners and we'll develop trust and friendship and camaraderie. My mentors have to want me to be better for the sake of my team. And my friends are people who care deeply about me, that I will continue to be a good, healthy, faithful, Christian father, friend.
0: This is terrific because sometimes, Todd, there's a tendency or propensity on the part of leaders to conflate your category one partners with category three friends. Uh, So you just hire your friends. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is... One of the big big things
1: in adaptive leadership is to know the difference between your allies and your confidants. Yeah, right. Your allies. Some of the people on your team are people that you you may not be close friends, but you are you joined together, arm in arm. God has got you there. Now the friendships come out of that, and I get a joy at this stage of my life to work with a lot of my closest friends. But really, your partners are the people who care about your mission with you.
0: Todd, this is terrific and I'm glad that our uh, connection is stabilized. Uh, really, really, really grateful. And so uh, before I ask you to offer kind of a conclusion for us and then a word of prayer for us, if you wouldn't mind, Todd, can I pick up a couple of uh, comments uh, in our chat? Sure. Uh, we have uh, some uh, some friends out here uh, who are wondering uh, a few things. So uh, our colleague and friend, Harry Lucinay. Uh, is asking if you wouldn't mind to repeat the, the leadership specialist from Harvard and the name of his book that you mentioned first.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Ronald Heifetz is the person. Um, leadership Without Easy Answers is his kind of famous book. Um, he's got to cut several others, but Ronald Heifetz is really the grandfather of adaptive leadership. And most of the rest of us have built our
0: work on his work. Terrific, Todd. And then um, another colleague, Tom Ogburn, is wondering if you might linger a little longer on identifying these core values uh, that will not change. How do you communicate that and uh, how do you communicate what can change? I mean, another way of framing that question is how do you ascertain mission and communicate this mission?
1: Yeah. So when I work, when we do a bunch of consulting work with churches, one of the things we do is we have them start with, let's set aside our aspirational values, what we think we should be. Let's start. Let's start talking about who we are. And the way you do that is you actually do that by telling stories. Let's tell stories about the very the moments that we were the proudest of our church, the things that made us join the church, the things that made us. Why are we committed? You know, why did I become a Presbyterian? Why are you a Baptist? What are those things? Right. Tell those stories. What those get to are our actual values. And then what you begin to realize is your actual values make up your gift. This is where the Catholic friends help us a lot. They talk about charism. Yep. That within the larger Catholic church, different orders have different gifts, different charisms. So Dominicans are different than Franciscans are different than Benedictines. I often think every church needs to be really clear. This is the gift that we offer to our community this is what is unique about us. This is what would be lost if we were not faithfully living out our mission hmm. and get clear on that. Yep. And when you realize that point, then you realize there's a lot less competition amongst churches. Yep. And there's a lot of reason for us to want to adapt because we have something, it might be small, but something very unique to give to the mission of God. Hmm. Uh, you and I know this that that I work at Fuller and you work at Baylor and that those are two different contexts to be in a seminary, right? Yeah. But we both have something to offer the larger church yes. that is really different, yeah. and that we don't have to therefore compete with each other. We no. have something and that we really want to adapt and be our very healthiest, best uh, faith, um, expression of that in a changing world.
0: Yeah. So this movement towards kind of a homogeneity is something that we should actually uh, not yield to, but resist. Yeah. 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 Think of it
1: as the identity. So, so yep. I actually think of this as strong, adaptive leaders have a strong sense of identity. It's an, it's an interesting con it's identity and humility. I know who I am. Yep. So, so I always say this, that every strong resilient leader is grounded in something other than their success as a leader. You've mm-hmm. got to be grounded in knowing. And, and I think this is where I see it in Jesus's ministry, right? When he goes to be baptized before he's done anything and is told, you are my beloved son. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have to be grounded in something other than our success in leading. That that becomes our strength because as we begin to express that identity, open to change, learning as we go, growing, we begin, now we have something to offer that is really unique and different.
0: Yeah. And to pick up this thread about storytelling Todd I've heard it said that leadership is storytelling and good leadership is better storytelling so how do folks excavate uh, these stories um, you're a, you're a master storyteller uh, where can folks look to find these? Well,
1: so I, I think I tell good stories because I come from a storytelling family. You know, I have a I have a, a grandfather who was an immigrant from Italy, and we mm. hold his story all the time. My grandfather's name was Guido Evangelisti. That's literally my grandfather's name of <laughs> like Guy the Evangelist. Yeah, I tell his story, and i, I mean, I write down to like on my wall here. I have a copy of his signature of when he came through Ellis Island, like so. We have these family stories we've passed on. And I think if you get if you get used to telling your past stories, understanding that they're instructive for the future, then what you get to do is you get to embrace both your identity and also some of the pain. I mean, we have some painful stories too that we tell in 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 sadness as warnings. And those stories really become a way of I think of stories as the as well, Brene Brown said stories are data with a soul, right?
0: That's good.
1: So stories really are the DNA. They, they reveal the DNA of, of, an, of a healthy body or of an organization or of an institution. And so you tell those stories well and you adapt those stories to the future. And your future is always resides in the healthiest part of your DNA.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's so helpful. Well, Todd, this is you've been generous with this time. Uh, this has been a generative conversation. So... Um, I, close this out. I, I mean, what what's on Todd Bolsinker's f- frontal lobe today? I mean, what what's kind of weighing on your heart? And then um, be so generous as to lead us uh, in a word of prayer as you conclude your thoughts.
1: Yeah. I think the thing weighing on my heart is probably what's weighing on most of our hearts. I think we are in a moment where we are having to ask the question, how does the church stand as a faithful witness in a profoundly divided culture? Yes. Um, you know, and uh, without even wanting to get into the debate about who's right or to whatever part, I just want to say that the church must be leaven for righteousness and truth in the world. It must be about justice. It must be about the least of those and all the things that Jesus said. And so, what I want more than anything is for us to recapture the church as the place that forms people to be a witness to Jesus's light in the world. And that that's beyond the political divisions and beyond the power moves Mm. and needs to be beyond some of the divisions that are now tearing us apart. And that's where I I long for the most. I think the future has got to be about our recovering, our unique witness as the very embodiment of Jesus in the world.
0: That's so powerful, and, and and hopeful. I remember Paul saying to the Galatians that he is like uh, a woman uh, with birth pangs until Christ is formed in them. This Christos uh, formity, uh, which Mike Gorman talks so powerfully about, is the need of the day.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's really true.
0: Yeah. yeah. Todd, thanks. This has been great. I'm sorry once again for a a bit of the buffering, but we we were able to kind of press on and carry through, and uh, it's crystal clear now. And uh, uh, would you you, uh, lead us uh, in prayer as we close? Uh, We would really appreciate it. Thank you again for your time and your work, Todd. It's been a blessing.
1: Thank you, Todd, very much, very much. Well, God, to all who hear um, whatever piece of this um, broadcast, May you speak to them and encourage their hearts to be faithful to their next step of leadership. Whatever context you put us in, whatever conditions that we are facing, whatever challenges are in front of us, remind us that we are your beloved children, that we are anchored in your love, that we are held well by your grace. We are empowered by your spirit and we are called to be the answer to Jesus's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name
0: of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Terrific, Todd. Thanks again. Appreciate it. My you. pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.